Peace be upon you. So in this episode, God willing, we're going to discuss what makes a miracle and see where the dictionary and most people's interpretation of the miracle uh, falls short. If we look at the Quran, we see that God constitutes many things as miracles. And the word in Arabic for a miracle is ayat. And we see that in the Quran that God calls the nine miracles he gave Moses ayat. God says that when Zechariah was incapable of speaking for three days after getting news that he's going to have a son, that that was an ayat. God calls the creation of the heavens and the earth and the variations in languages and colors ayat. And God also calls the verses of the Quran ayat. In Surah 11, verse 1, it reads, ALR, this is the scripture whose verses, ayat, have been perfected, then elucidated. It comes from a most wise, most cognizant. So one of the biggest problems with the definition that you see in a dictionary regarding a miracle is that they limit it in scope. And they say that it has to happen in some you know, supernatural way that can't be explained through natural processes. But this is not how God describes these miracles. God shows in the Quran that there's two mechanisms that he utilizes to manifest miracles in this world. The first mechanism is very cut and dry. It's simply uh, in Arabic, kun fayakun, be and it becomes. Simply by God stating be, he can manifest into reality whatever he wills. And these sort of miracles, they're not limited uh, to uh, cause and effect or the laws of this universe. Uh, they can just come into existence at God's will at any moment he chooses. And this process is, is an immediate transition from command to actualization. And an example of this is in the Immaculate Conception of Jesus. So in Surah 3, verse 45 through 47, it reads, The angel said, O Mary, God gives you good news, a word from him whose name is the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of Mary. He will be prominent in this life and in the hereafter, and one of those closest to me. He will speak to the people from the crib as well as an adult. He will be one of the righteous. She said, My Lord, how can I have a son when no man has touched me? He said, God thus creates whatever he wills. To have anything done, he simply says to it, be, and it is. God did not need to be concerned about how reproduction happens in this world. God could intervene into his creation at any moment and change the, the parameters at his whim. And this doesn't mean that God didn't have uh, uh, knowledge beforehand that at this exact moment, at this exact time, at this exact location, he's going to manifest this miracle. It just shows that God can choose at any time to manifest whatever miracle he wants. The other mechanism that God can utilize to manifest miracles is through predestination. That prior to the creation of this universe, God can already preordain that at the exact moment, at the exact time, that the, all the events necessary are going to come to fruition through the naturalistic laws of this universe to carry out whatever outcome he chose. And these kinds of miracles, they're written into the fabric of the cosmos, that it's already been preordained that these cause and effect outcomes are going to lead to the manifestation of whatever God wills without the need for God to directly intervene. And we have examples of this in Surah 30, verse 20 through 25. It reads, Among his proofs is that he created you from dust. Then you became reproducing humans. 
Consider that we are made of stardust, but all matter in the universe, observable matter in the universe, is made from this dust. And God has already orchestrated that this dust is going to form stars that are eventually going to form uh, planets and then eventually form us, that it's all written in the cosmos of this process. And this requires God not having to directly intervene to create us. But then it says, then you became reproducing humans. You know, consider that God created sexual reproduction in order for people to be able to have offspring, again, without God needing to directly intervene each time a new life form needs to be uh, created. And it continues, it says in 3021, among his proofs is that he created for you spouses from among yourselves in order to have tranquility and contentment with each other. And he placed in your hearts love and care towards your spouses. In this, there are sufficient proofs for people who think, that, you know, God created a system by which we get joy, we get happiness, we get excitement, right? Again, without him having to directly intervene at every moment, that he has a process in place, he has a system in place that he can release these feelings, this, this uh, contentment through these mechanisms. And it continues, among his proofs are the creation of the heavens and the earth and the variations in your languages and your colors. In these, there are signs for the knowledgeable. Among his proofs is your sleeping during the night or the day, and your working in pursuit of his provisions. In this, there are sufficient proofs for people who can hear. Consider that God controls all provisions. All provisions come from God, but he created a mechanism by which we work. And from that, God delivers us provisions through the mechanisms of this world. And again, it doesn't require him to directly intervene in order to be able to give us provisions. And it continues, it says, Among his proofs is that he shows you the lightning as a source of fear as well as hope. Then he sends down from the sky water to revive a land that has been dead. In these, there are sufficient proofs for people to understand. God created a system by which you can take putrid water and through evaporation, take fresh water, transport it into the sky, and deliver it to uh, desolate lands to revive life, to give us nourishment. That again, he doesn't have to directly intervene and move this water. He created a system that it does it through these natural processes. And it says, among his proofs is that the heaven and the earth are standing at his disposal. Finally, when he calls you out of the earth, one call, you immediately come out. And another verse that talks about this, this, this form of a miracle that happens through naturalistic processes is in Surah 6, verse 99. It says, He is the one who sends down from the sky water, whereby we produce all kinds of plants. We produce from the green material multitudes of complex grains, palm trees, and hanging clusters, and gardens of grapes, olives, and pomegranate, fruits that are similar yet dissimilar. Note their fruits as they grow and ripen. These are signs for people who believe. Consider you take a seed. They all look almost identical. You put them into the ground and then you get a pomegranate. Take almost an identical looking seed. You put it in the ground. You get grapes. You get olives. You get all these varieties of fruits and vegetables through this process, through this system that God created the soil, photosynthesis, everything necessary, and even our taste buds to be able to distinguish between all these amazing flavors. So this shows that God can manifest miracles in any which way he chooses. To limit God to say that miracles are only those who come in through this supernatural process is really not understanding what is a miracle. 
So God can bring these miracles to fruition however he wants. He can either say, kun fayakun, be and it becomes, or he could have ingrained it into the fabric of the cosmos. So at the right time, place, that these miracles come to fruition. So then the question is, okay, if that doesn't define a miracle, what is a miracle? So before we look at the dictionary definition of a miracle, let's start with another question. You know, what defines a chair? Now, this might sound like an oddball question, but there's a bigger, you know, purpose I'm trying to bring up. If we attempt to define a chair by its uh, structure, by its character traits, we might say that it's got four legs, that it has a seat, it has a back, and that's what defines a chair. But what if I bring a chair that has three legs? Is that still a chair? Sure, right? But chairs can come in any variety of shapes. For instance, we have armchairs, stools, beanbags. Heck, you can sit on a rock or a log. And all these in the right context can constitute a chair. And this would break the definition. But what makes a chair is not just its character traits. What makes the chair is the function, how the people engage with it. The fact that it provides them a place to sit. So, a chair can either be defined by its structure or by its function. But we see that we get a much more robust definition when we define it by its function. So now let's look, what is the definition of a miracle? If we go and consult the dictionary regarding what is the definition of a miracle in the context of the divine, we get the following definition. It reads, a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. Do you notice the problem with this definition? The problem with this definition is they're limiting miracles to those that cannot be explained by natural processes. But as we just saw, that is not what defines a miracle according to the Quran. To say that it's only limited to those that you could say happen through uh, unnatural processes showing that it's divine agency that created this outcome, then that would eliminate any miracle in this world. This would definitively say that, look, anything that happened in this world, someone can come up with some reason, some justification of some natural process that came this to fruition. And that becomes the fundamental problem with the dictionary definition of a miracle. Now let's look at some examples in the Quran to see how this definition falls short. If we look at Mary's Immaculate Conception, the fact that, you know, the angel came, said to her, be, and she immediately became pregnant, you know, a believer hears this and realizes like, okay, this is God's hand at work. This is a miracle. But a skeptic, they can easily argue that, hey, look, you guys are gullible. Clearly, she got pregnant the old-fashioned way, and this is just a ruse trying to convince you that, no, it was this miracle that she got pregnant without a father. In the Quran, it talks about Jesus resurrecting the dead. You know, a believer hears this narrative and understands that, yes, this was God's will allowing Jesus to resurrect the dead. But a skeptic, they'll just argue, they'll say, no, the guy's in a comatose state. There's nothing miraculous about this. You know, there's a natural reason to justify what took place without involving the divine. Consider the narrative of the splitting of the Red Sea for Moses. You know, a believer hears of this narrative and realizes that this is God's hand at work. But a skeptic is going to say, look, this is a geological event. There's nothing miraculous here. And if that sounds outlandish, consider that this was the uh, article title in The Guardian in 2010. It reads, a miracle. Science claims it has figured out how the sea was parted for the Israelites. 
researchers reconstruct wind and wave combinations that could have produced dry path across the sea described in Exodus. So here we have scientists, geologists claiming that no, there's nothing miraculous here. This was just a geological event. So by the definition of the dictionary, there are no miracles. Because for every miracle, someone can come up with some you know, natural process by which this comes to fruition. And we see that this is not how the Quran defines a miracle. Yes, we understand that God is the ultimate cause. But the Quran defines a miracle, that it's there, irrespective if you acknowledge God's hand in the event or not. So this shows that the dictionary definition of a miracle it completely contradicts what God even allows regarding miracles in this world. The Quran informs us that if miracles were manifested per the dictionary definition, where everyone had no excuse that it was overtly and incontrovertibly the hand of God, that literally the entire test of this world would be terminated. Where if God was to manifest these kinds of miracles, then the entire function of our test in this world will be null and void. So in Surah 2, verse 210, it reads, Are they waiting until God himself comes to them in dense clouds together with the angels? When this happens, the whole matter will be terminated, and to God everything will be returned. This shows that these kinds of miracles, they are not allowed in this world, in this universe, because if they were, the entire test our whole determination to decide do we believe in God or not, do we choose to be righteous or evil, would be nullified because we have God intervening and we could see him for ourselves. It's the fact that we're under this cloak, this cover, that we can make these decisions without the direct influence of God. That is the function of this world. You know, if God manifested miracles where it was so blatant that no one can deny them, that everyone knew, yes, this was the hand of God, then there is no purpose of having this test. Right? The function of this world is for us to decide, do we choose to believe or disbelieve? And if God manifested himself or created miracles that were so gra uh, grandiose that there was no denying of them, then again, the whole test would be terminated. In Surah 6, verse 8, it says, They also said, if only an angel could come down with him. Had we sent an angel, the whole matter would have been terminated and they would no longer be respited. Meaning that if God granted them this request and actually sent an angel. And now there is no denying that, yes, there is angels, there is God, the reason we're here, there's, then there would be no purpose for having this test. The whole thing would be terminated. This shows that there are limits to the kinds of miracles God will manifest in this world, such that the miracles of this world cannot be so blatant that it eliminates the requirement for faith. And God gives us a response in Surah 6, verse 9, the following verse, that if he was to fulfill this request for them to send an angel, how he would conduct it by which it wouldn't break this rule within this world. It reads in Surah 6, verse 9, it says, Had we sent an angel, we would have sent him in the form of a man, and we would have kept them just as confused as they are confused now. So this is indicating to us that if someone wanted an angel to come down, that they would have to come in this form of a human being in order to leave them just as confused as they are confused now. Because if God lifted the veil and you could see all the angels, you can see God, then there would be no purpose of this test. There would be no more reason to continue with this life. 
you know, would be immediately be exiled into the hereafter and be admitted either to paradise or to hell. The function of this world is for us to make these decisions without God's direct presence. If you had God right there next to you, there's no way anyone would choose disbelief. It's not going to happen. So God created this universe where he doesn't have to directly intervene unless for the moments he chooses that he allows us to go through this, this experiment for us to see for ourselves why we make the decisions we choose to make. Miracles as manifested by God are designed in such a way that they leave room for confusion and disbelief. And this offers a profound insight into the nature of miracles and how we might define them. It suggests that miracles are not just about overwhelming displays of divine power, but are rather nuanced events that balance between revelation and concealment. They are crafted in a manner that allows for the preservation of free will, enabling individuals to interpret and respond to these events according to their own beliefs and perceptions. So a better definition of a miracle is an extraordinary event that while suggesting the involvement of a divine agency is presented in such a way that it maintains the possibility of alternative interpretations. This definition acknowledges the inherent ambiguity in miracles, reflecting the idea that they are not only signs for those who believe, but also a phenomena that do not compel belief unequivocally. It respects human choice, allowing for a spectrum of responses from absolute certainty to flat-out denial. Now we're getting closer to understanding what are miracles according to the Quran. And I want to cite this example. I, I've cited this numerous times. It's from the movie Pulp Fiction. You know, in this movie, you have these two assassins. One is uh, played by John Travolta. The other one is played by uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And these two hitmen, they go inside this apartment to execute this kid who basically uh, crossed their boss. And they see three college-age students in there. And they don't realize that there's a fourth guy in the bathroom with a with a revolver. And they promptly execute two of the kids. And then the, the guy in the bathroom kicks the door open, shoots a bunch of shots at point-blank range, and totally misses. Samuel Jackson, John Travolta, they're looking at each other, you know, mesmerized that they weren't shot, and they execute the guy. Then they have a conversation. And Samuel L. Jackson is saying, look, this is divine intervention. We shouldn't be here right now. And John Travolta's character is saying, look, the guy's a lousy shot. You're reading too much into this. One person sees the hand of God in the situation. The other one is denying, saying that there's a naturalistic reason for this. That there's no reason to invoke God into the fact that they, they survived. So two people witness the exact same event. Something that's highly improbable, incredibly meaningful to their existence. Because if it went the other way, they would both be dead. And one views it that this is the creator at work, while the other one says, no, there's nothing to see here, and denies everything that took place. What causes a person to go down one path or the other is ingrained in the way that our brains are designed by God. God tells us whatever it is that we believe, we're going to find justification for that belief. In Surah 19, verse 75 and 76, it reads, say, those who choose to go astray. So these are people who've decided to go astray. It says the most gracious will lead them on until they see what is promised for them, either the retribution or the hour. That is when they find out who really is worse off and weaker in power. 
And it says, God augments, increases the guidance of those who choose to be guided. For the good deeds are eternally rewarded by your Lord and bring far better returns. So miracles, again, they're not limited how God chooses to bring them to fruition. God can manifest miracles in any which way, shape, form he wants at any time he wants. God is not limited by these abilities. And then secondly, we see that the, by definition, a miracle has to be interpreted in multiple ways based on the belief of the individual. To limit miracles to only those that can absolutely unequivocally be attributed to God is missing the main definition of a miracle. These are highly improbable events that have huge implications for our belief in God and our relationship with our Creator. That is what constitutes a miracle. They challenge us to consider not only what we believe, but why we believe it. And pending on our interpretation, it will determine our connection or lack thereof with our Creator. In Surah 2 verse 118 it reads, Those who possess knowledge say, If only God could speak to us, or some miracle could come to us, Others before them have uttered similar utterances. Their minds are similar. We do manifest the miracles for those who have attained certainty. The miracles are all around us. The delta is, do we choose to acknowledge them or not? But irrespective, if we understand that it's God's hand who caused this or not, there's still ayat, there's still signs, there's still miracles of God. And this underscores the common mistake in how many people conceptualize a miracle. Their error lies in trying to define a miracle purely based on its own characteristics. And this is similar to defining a chair by its materials or its structure. No, it's defined by its function. A miracle by its very nature is not defined by its intrinsic properties, but rather by its impact on those who witness it. The Quran offers a profound insight into this understanding, suggesting that a miracle fundamentally affects an individual's perceived relationship with God. It acts as a catalyst, prompting a re-evaluation of one's spiritual standing, either drawing them closer to God or conversely driving them further away. This should shift our focus on how we understand miracles from its external attributes of the miracle to the internal transformation it incites within people who observe the miracle. It's not just an extraordinary event in the physical realm. It's a significant moment in the spiritual journey of an individual, a moment that challenges, confirms, or changes the faith and understanding of that person towards the divine. And the Quran explains, that a miracle can impact a person who observes it in any one of the five following ways. That it can disturb those who disbelieve. That it will provide certainty to those who believe. That it can strengthen the faith of the faithful. That it can remove all trace of doubt from the hearts of the believers. And lastly, that it exposes those who harbor doubts in their hearts. And this portrayal, it's spelt out in Surah 74, Al-Mudathir, verse 31 of the Quran immediately after citing the number 19 as a rebuttal to the human being who analyzed the Quran and came to the conclusion that said that this Quran is clever magic, it's human made. It reads in Surah 74 verse 31, it says, We appointed angels to be guardians of hell, and we assigned their number, 19, to disturb the disbelievers, to convince the Christians and Jews that this is divine scripture, to strengthen the faith of the faithful, to remove all trace of doubt, 
from the hearts of Christians, Jews, as well as the believers, and to five, expose those who harbor doubt in their hearts. And the disbelievers, they will say, what did God mean by this allegory? God thus sends astray whoever he wills and guides whomever he wills. None knows the soldiers of your Lord except he. This is a reminder for the people. So in this verse, it's spelling out what the function of a miracle does. That we understand what constitutes a miracle in this world is not from within, but what it does to the people who observe it. So to recap, miracles can come in one of two ways. Either God can say, be and it is, or God could have decided from before the creation, using naturalistic processes to create miracles and bring them to manifestation at specific times and at a specific location. Also, we realize that miracles are not defined within themselves, but they're predominantly the way that we can define a miracle is the impact it has on those who observe it. That if it increases them in faith, if it removes all doubt, that if it causes them disbelief or belief, that it's th those outcomes that are going to define if something's a miracle. And now the next part that we're going to discuss is the importance of timing in the manifestation of miracles. It's not merely the occurrence of these miraculous events that captures our attention, but rather the precise moments that they unfold. This impeccable timing reinforces the very essence of a miracle. It's as if the fabric of reality conspires to reveal these extraordinary occurrences exactly when their impact will be the most meaningful and when they will resonate most profoundly with the human experience. The Quran provides a profound insight into the nature of miracles in relation to messengers and the importance, again, of timing. In Surah 13, verse 38, it reads, We have sent messengers before you, O Rashad, and we made them husbands with wives and children. No messenger can bring a miracle without God's authorization and in accordance with a specific predetermined time. Notice this connection between the authorization of a miracle and its specific predetermined time, the timing of the miracle. Let's look at this in practice. Consider again the history of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. Irrespective of whether God stated B to make the sea part, or it was predestined that at that exact same time, the geological conditions, the weather patterns were perfect, in order to part the sea naturally, what makes the event miraculous was the timing. Imagine if the sea had parted at a different time, when no one was there, there was no significant event taking place, absent of any human context. While such an event might be, oh, that's, that's pretty cool, that's highly improbable, we wouldn't say that that's a miracle, because there was no purpose, there was no meaning behind that event. The real power of a miracle lies in its precise timing. The deceit parts exactly when Moses and the children of Israel are fleeing Pharaoh and his troops. These guys are after them. They want them dead. And at that moment of inspiration, Moses hits his staff and it parts the sea, giving them a dry path to walk across, only to have it engulf and drown Pharaoh and his troops. This isn't just a supernatural event. This narrative is imbued with deep meaning for the children of Israel who were present, who witnessed it with their own eyes, and us today reflecting on that event as it transpired. 
In Surah 26, verse 61 through 67, it reads, When both parties saw each other, Moses' people said, We will be caught. He said, No way. My Lord is with me. He will guide me. We then inspired Moses, Strike the sea with your staff, whereupon it parted. Each part was like a great hill. We then delivered them all. We thus saved Moses and all those who were with him, and we drowned the others. This should be a sufficient proof, but most people are not believers. So this synchronicity between the miraculous event and its timing elevates it beyond a mere anomaly in the natural order, and it becomes a testament to the purpose and authorization of the messenger by the Lord of the universe. So miracles are not just highly improbable events, but are imbued with purpose that will have us assess our relationship with our Creator, and they are perfectly orchestrated to be revealed at specific times. So in the same vein of timing of miracles, uh, we see that every miracle comes for its time and place. At the time of Moses, uh, magic was something that was predominant to the point that, you know, Pharaoh can make a call out to experienced magicians and there was people who could take up that challenge. And here comes this individual who provides something that is not magic, that when the magicians see, they realize this isn't sleight of hand and they fall prostrate, but other people made up excuses about it. When Jesus comes, there's famine, there's leprosy, and here's an individual who's curing the blind, he's healing the leprous, he's bringing food from the sky, and this was something that was pertinent for their time and place. And at the time of Saleh, he brings a camel that today if someone came and said, hey, look, I have a miracle, what is it? It's a camel. It wouldn't resonate with us. But at that time, that place, you know, they had a high esteem for these animals, and they realized what he was producing with this animal was something that was abnormal that you know we can't fully understand but for those people who understood those matters at that time it shook their faith and the prophet muhammad when he came poetry was big and they see this individual this orphan who has this quote-unquote poetry that they said that this, there's no way this came from him they, they they made up excuses they said someone else is teaching him they're dictating to him and he's writing it down and today we live in the information age and specifically, we live in the age of cryptography. And God gave us a miracle by means of Code 19 that's specified in Surah 74, where it says that this number 19, that this is the rebuttal to those who claim that this Quran is clever magic, that it's human made, that through this number 19, we can authenticate and validate the exact transmission of this Quran from God to his messenger that it eliminates this ambiguity regarding the various recitations of the Qur'an. Because you talk to the average uh, Muslim and you ask them how many recitations of the Qur'an there are, you know, they'll say anywhere between 7, 10, 14, 20 different recitations. There's way more than that historically. And you ask them which one is the correct one, they'll say they're all correct. And then they create this false narrative that the Qur'an was given in seven modes. And you ask them, well, what does that mean? And they don't even know. There's no consensus on this. You know, all we can say is that, uh, as far as they're concerned, there is complete ambiguity regarding the exact transmission of the Qur'an. And this is what Code 19 resolves. It tells us without any doubt which transmission is the correct transmission. But in addition to that, it shows that the Qur'an is the only source of religious law. And this is the thing that made the, the Muslims so furious about this. Because they're committed to the Hadith and Sunnah. They don't want to hear that the Qur'an is complete, it's perfect, that it's the only divine revelation that we have today from God to his messenger. They want to have this secondary source. And once Code 19 exposed 
that the Muslim masses have abandoned the Quran, that they've walked away from the religion, they tried their utmost to suppress it. Now, what's interesting is in the Surah 74, where it describes the number 19 and its function, that it's in the Surah that it tells us the anatomy of a miracle, what a miracle does. So in Surah 74, Mudathir, the hidden secret, it talks about the disbeliever who analyzes the Quran and comes to the conclusion that this Quran is clever magic, it's human made. And God's rebuttal to this individual is over his 19. This is Surah 74, verse 30. And then it tells us how a miracle works, what the function of a miracle is. And this is in Surah 74, verse 31. It states, We appointed angels to be guardians of hell, and we assigned their number, 19. And it says what the number 19, it says their number, what this number is going to do to people. It's going to disturb the disbelievers. It's going to convince the Christians and Jews that this is the divine scripture. It's going to strengthen the faith of the faithful. It's going to remove all traces of doubt from the hearts of Christians, Jews, as well as the believers. And it exposes those who harbor doubts in their hearts. And it says the disbelievers, they will say, what did God mean by this allegory? God thus sends astray whoever wills, and he guides whomever he wills. None knows the soldiers of your Lord except he. This is a reminder for the people. Absolutely. I swear by the moon and the night as it passes and the morning as it shines, this is one of the great miracles, a warning to the human race. Now, people can nitpick about this all they want, and God gives them enough rope that if they want to find fault in this, they will. But there's something divine here. And the reason we know that is because so many people, when they're exposed to this, it does the very thing that this uh, miracle is supposed to do, that it disturbs some, it convinces others, it strengthens the faith. It removes doubt, and it exposes those who harbor doubt. And that's what a miracle does, and that's what Code 19 is. Now, what's interesting about this, in the context of timing, is when was this miracle revealed? This miracle came to fruition in 1974. Okay, Keep in mind, chapter 74 is the only chapter that mentions this number 19 in this function. What else is interesting is 1974 is exactly... 1,406 lunar years from the initial revelation of the Quran. 1,406 is 19 times 74. So this correlation of 19 times 74 lunar years and the year 1974 in the Gregorian calendar is not to escape notice. This is especially uncanny in view that the fact that the number 19 is only mentioned in Surah 74. This shows that this was God's divine plan, that at this time, at this moment, this miracle is going to be revealed for the masses. And it correlates perfectly because it came at the time of the information age when computers became prevalent. You know, if this miracle, it's been locked into the Quran for 1400 years, but at the exact time as God decreed, this was going to be manifested for human beings to reassure their hearts and guide them back to the Quran and back to the worship of God alone and save them from all this idol worship that has inundated the religion. So to summarize all this, miracles can be revealed however God wills. He could directly intervene and manifest something without any concern regarding the physical laws of this universe, or he can decide to basically have these come through natural processes where he doesn't have to directly intervene. So how the miracle comes to fruition does not define the miracle. What defines the miracle is how it's perceived by the masses. And one of the biggest elements of how it's perceived is the timing by its manifestation. That if it happens at the wrong time, 
then it just becomes a highly, you know, interesting, improbable event. But when it's imbued with this deep meaning that gives authorization to God's messengers, that speaks to a higher truth regarding our relationship with our Creator, that's when we're really put to the test. And we're determining by that miracle, do we draw closer to God or further away? And it's that outcome, that polarity, that causes people to go into, you know, absolute levels of certainty and just commitment to God, or just the deepest uh, uh, troughs of disbelief, that that's what constitutes a miracle. That when a human being reflects upon the creation, they look at the stars, or some miraculous event takes place in their life, do they recognize the hand of God? Does it increase them in faith? Does it make them closer to God? Or does it repel them further away? Because that is what constitutes a miracle, according to the Quran. God willing, we're going to end there. God willing, if you guys want to get in contact, you want to find like-minded people, we have a thriving server on Discord. We would love to have you. We have regular Quran studies, uh, discussions, debates. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, place to meet new people. Uh, if you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran study app on the iOS app store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranCityApp.com website. Uh, if you want notes from today's discussion, uh, I wrote actually a four-part series to this topic of miracles, and you can find that on Cron Talk blog, where you can find notes from today's discussion as well as articles on uh, a wide range of subject matters. If you want to get more regular updates, please follow me on Twitter at TalkQuran. And until next time, peace and God bless.